How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I know that we all love to talk about real estate and investing in real estate among healthcare professionals. Trust me, it is one of those topics that we tend to talk a lot about, uh, especially when we talk about you know purchasing our primary residence. But it doesn't stop there. Many of us have become you know amateur real estate investors and. Today, we're going to do a topic about just that, a little twist on the investment of real estate, but looking at it from a different angle. I am really excited to welcome you guys back to part two of this very exciting podcast on real estate investing for very busy healthcare professionals. And I want to continue our conversation with Erwin Sito. Please enjoy responsibly. So the next question is, how do I assess a property? So what are the things that as a junior investor, you know, I'm, I'm looking at investing in investment real estate, not, not in my own home to live in. So what are the things, what are the big things? You've mentioned a few. What other things should we be looking at? First off, the population has to be growing because the dumbest thing I've ever heard about real estate investing is that all real estate goes up because that's a complete lie. It's not accurate at all. Anyone can just, you were talking about birth rates. Go look at Japan. How's their real estate prices going? How's their birth rate going? What are their immigration rates like? Like immigration and birth rate, birth rate especially. I think they have one of the lowest birth rates in the world, right? I just saw an article last week, Italy. Italy, uh, Italy also has a very small birth rate and low immigration rate. So their, their population is either flat or declining. And what do you know? The real estate prices aren't going up. Surprise, surprise. So versus areas where I invest, like Hamilton, Ontario, I don't even need to know much that populations are growing. I just need to talk to property managers. I have several. How's the rental market going? Do you have any property to rent? Because we have all these tenants that want to rent. You talk to a local real estate agent. Do you have any properties you want to sell? Because we have all these people that want to buy. Now I know it's all on the demand side. And what is business? It's not a, no different than being a doctor. There's so much business for you guys, <laughs> right? There's so much demand for your services. There's so much demand for my real estate business, both on the tenant and also for, for, for potential buyers. And do I see any change to that? So that's the first thing to assess. And then what often gets missed is people need to think about who is your tenant target tenant, right? And also be reasonable. Actually, don't be reasonable. Go ahead and say doctors and lawyers. Okay, I want doctors and lawyers as my tenants. Okay, so you're gonna have to buy properties that are worth well, like at least one and a half million. <laughs> and, and you're probably gonna get maybe 4,000 in rent. Is this cash flow acceptable to you? Because it's not going to cash flow. <laughs> like, no. Okay, so dial it down a little bit. So then I would say, you know, how about these young professionals who have great paying jobs and they don't like driving cars? So that means they have great paying jobs and more disposable income. That sounds like my kind of tenant profile. Also, what else about young professionals is there? They have bright futures. They don't want to damage their credit because they're, they're planning on being future homeowners. That's great. 
That's my tenant profile. That's personally my tenant profile. So people need to assess that. So you need to, so does your market attract those? So the mistake that I see a lot of beginners make is they just go buy something cheap. And why is it cheap? Because no one wants to live there. <laughs> so literally, for example, Hamilton, I think most people know what ha Hamilton, we do have steel mills. So people will literally, beginners will literally buy houses right next to the steel mill because it's cheap. You know what thing, one thing about cheap real estate is? It'll never go up because you'll never attract a good tenant profile because no one wants to live there. So if you know what your tenant profile wants, go start looking there. And what, what does my young professional want? It's usually to be within walking distance to a lot of amenities. So that means you need to be in a good area that actually wants that restaurant owners want to open up. <laughs> so that usually means you have to be in a decent area. And my other tenant profile is families. My, in my experience, parents will do almost anything to make sure there's a roof over their kid's head. So that is the, that's the kind of tenant I want. So I, I'll buy in the suburbs. So I buy in the suburbs of, Ham, of Hamilton. Driveways, backyards, fences, right? Near schools. So I look for all those things. So just start simply that way. And then the more, then, the, then you get more nitty gritty you start looking at the home in terms of how well do they maintain the home? So like for, for example, say the house is for sale and the weeds are tall and there's weeds growing in the eaves trough. Yeah. Cause people don't yep. clean up the leaves. Yeah. And now there's, now there's, now there's like mini trees growing in the eaves trough. So they won't even do this basic main home maintenance. What's the house, what's the rest of the house going to look like? I'm going to know that I know there's going to be problems. And then when you look at when you're in, when you're in a property, does it look like a do it yourself job? <laughs> like for me, it's really easy to see a do yourself job, right? right. I, my, my ex-wife was in, was a, had her own renovation business. So I know what a professional job looks like. I've renovated over 30 properties of my own with my own name in it, my own money in it. Right. I know what a professional job looks like. I know what a do it yourself job looks like. Uh, and then, especially when you look at the electrical. Did they hire an electrician or did they do it themselves? <laughs> You'd be surprised how often people do their own electrical. <laughs> and then that's why in our process, when we show clients property, we, because our client often has zero experience in these things. So what I did and what I've taught my team is I often just talk out loud because I've been through well over a hundred home inspections. I have a good sense of what the home inspector is going to find. And I personally feel it's my job to find you problems before the home inspector does. Cause you need to know about it because at the end of the day, it comes down to dollars and cents. So say we have, see, we have trees growing in the eaves trough, right? What's new eaves trough going to cost you? I know because I've been through it. It's going to cost you around six grand to replace these all if they're that bad, right? And then again, this is all, this is a business, right? Can I resolve the issue with money at low time and it's time and low headache? If I can, and the deal makes sense, you still go, you go through with it. Cause really, I don't care what the property looks like. Do the dollars make sense, right? Does my investment like for example, like people like beginner investors, for example, like, oh, the roof shot. Oh my God, they can't do this. Like, really? My folks can fix a roof in two days versus the kitchen? That'll take you at least three weeks <laughs> if there's no delays. So I'll take the bad roof over a kitchen I have to redo. Right. But beginners don't know these things. Well, it's emotional, right? It's emotional. Um, yeah. We don't we don't know what we don't know. That's the first thing. And so how do I know how long it takes to fix a roof? I don't I have no idea. Right. Um, I have no idea how long it's to fix a, a kitchen and re redo a basement like or to redo the electricals. I have no idea. So I don't know what I don't know. So I have to rely right. on experts like yourself. But coming back to the emotion is that for for novice investors we look at a home as if i'm going to live in that home mm, and that's the wrong mentality right as you say you've you've purchased real estate properties without ever seeing it 
mm-hmm. uh, or your, your clients are without ever seeing it because they rely on your expertise, your team's expertise to assess the home, what the renovation would be like, what the cash flow would be like, what are the tenants profile would be like. And they, sure, it makes sense. Let's get it done. Whereas, you know, the novice will say, well, I don't like this color. I don't like that bench. I don't like this, right? You're not buying to live in it. <laughs> You're mm-hmm. buying to invest. So mm-hmm. a lot of the emotion comes into play, which is, which is again, you have to keep the emotions in check when you're dealing with uh, property, real estate property. And then how you take the emotions out is when it comes back to numbers. This is the Very, property. This is what it costs to renovate it. This will be the timeline to get it done. This will be the rents. Count for this for property management and vacancy on one. Right, I'll come bring it all down to numbers, right? Because when you make it bring it down to numbers, then you don't need to get emotional about it. Very good point. Very good point. Very good point. Again, this is a business decision. <laughs> it, it is. It is. And um, and again, because we're unfamiliar, right? We're, we're it's foreign to us. I, I really enjoyed our conversation today because it really brings it down to you've said it your last sentence. It's a numbers game, and physicians understand numbers like we've. We've gone through, you know, years and years of university and PhD among PhD upon PhD. We definitely understand numbers, but what we don't understand is taking the emotion out of it. We don't understand that we don't know what we don't know, and we think we know, and so we do it the wrong way and we screw it up. But it is as simple as it's a numbers game, and it really doesn't take much skill, as you say, but it takes discipline. And I think when we don't know what we're doing because we've never been brought up in this environment, it's really hard to have that discipline. And so uh, thank you very much to drill it all down to something that is digestible for us. So before we close this conversation, because I've taken a lot of your time already, uh, before we close this conversation, maybe one or two burning thing on your chest that you need to say to us as the healthcare community when it comes to uh, real estate investment, property investment, or, you know, just investment, you know, guys, this is what you need to do. Here's two key messages for you. Go on. What what you would say to your dad, if your dad ever actually listens to you, but what would you say to him? Two burning things. I don't think I need to tell my dad this because he's afraid of dying. Right. I think uh, I'll give an example. Uh, I didn't know this when my, when my dad, when COVID started happening, he shared with me, uh, uh, we're talking about mass. I don't know how we got on the subject, but he said, since SARS, anytime he sees a patient who reports cold-like symptoms, he puts his N95 on. And then there's, whole, there's this whole crowd out there who are anti-mask, right? And versus here's my dad, right? He's been wearing, he's been putting a mask on since 2008, right? So anyways, so he's plenty afraid of dying. And I don't think any doctor's not afraid of dying. <laughs> I think we all know we're not going to live forever. So what do you want to leave behind? And the doctor's like, it's, it's, you know, you want to do no harm. That's, that's a Hippocratic oath. You have to work to make money as a doctor, right? I make money in my sleep. Right? My real estate makes money, makes me money in my sleep. It's pretty sweet. And I'm not saying like, don't be a doctor. You know, it's like telling, it's like telling Connor McDavid, Hey, you make, $8 million a year, you know, you need to start, you need to have, you know, let's, you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be making money with your, with your time. You know, you don't want to exchange your time for money, right? You make $8 million a year or something like that. Right. There's nothing wrong with it. I just, my own interest for myself, I love having multiple streams of income. So I have, I do stocks as well. I do sell stock options. I do lots of stuff. Um, 
because like okay so i'm a doctor's son i need to know other ways of making money because i never made it as a doctor i couldn't make it as a doctor neither to my brother or my sister right we would never achieve that level of income right and then again i have friends who are doctors husband and wife doctor and between those incomes they can't afford much more than a condo now if that's your kid is that okay with you if that's okay with you, fine. Me, I want my kids to have a house. <laughs> but I, I, I absolutely share your your point about that is the multiple revenue streams. Um, now, just because we're a doctor and we have multiple revenue streams doesn't mean we we have to stop being a doctor. Like, no, I, I'm still an I'm still an emerge doc. I still practice, but it doesn't mean I can't invest in real estate. It doesn't mean I can't do a podcast. It doesn't mean I can't, um, you know, create a business. It just means that, you know, and we see it now, like during the pandemic, I don't know if you're aware of this, you probably are, but not realizing it. During this pandemic, hospitals are working really slow because we're dealing with COVID patients, which means all the elective surgeries are practically canceled. All the clinics are canceled. So imagine you're an orthopedic surgeon and you make a living operating knees and hips and you now can't do that anymore because the ORs are shut down and the ICUs are shut down because they're for COVID patients. So all of a sudden you're an orthopedic surgeon and you can't operate. And so half, 60%, 70% of your revenue just drop suddenly. And so imagine you were making you know X amount per month and now you're down to 30% of that. How do you pay your how do you pay your your mortgage? How do you pay your kids' private school? How do you pay your car, et cetera? How do you? You now have to all of a sudden scramble to find a way to pay for all that. And so you don't wait for a pandemic to do that. You do that before the 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 crisis happened. And most of us haven't done it. I'll be honest with you, most of us because it took us so long just to get to be a doctor. That's all we focused on. And so it's not surprising that doctors and nurses don't have a second revenue stream. They don't. And I, I preach to people, you need to do it and you need to do it now because COVID has taught us that you have to. Now, if it's not COVID, it's going to be SARS. If it's not SARS, it's something else. Like it's just going to happen. So you might as well do it now before the next pandemic. Hopefully you don't have another one. <laughs> well, if it's not a pandemic, it's some other thing, right? Um, it's just, you need to, you need to think about, you know, having different revenue streams and just because you have different revenue streams doesn't mean you all of a sudden be stopping a doctor, right? That yeah. doesn't make sense. My dad would be a doctor well into his seventies. He loves it. He'll just work less right? because he doesn't have to work. He doesn't have to. No, work. exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. And, and, you know, just because, just because I'm doing something else. The, I can still continue to work as a doctor, but not as hard. I don't have to do 70, 80 hours anymore. And all of a sudden I've got time for myself. I've got time for my wife and my kids. I'm not drinking. I don't use drugs and I don't get divorced. Right. I mean, I mean, who, who wouldn't want that? I mean, if you speak to a doctor, they want to work that 80 hours because they want to, or because they have to, I, I can tell you that most of us is because we have to. So yeah. do you have kids? I do. Okay. How, how much will it cost to send one of them to medical school? Like from beginning to end, undergrad till, till, till done. So the average, the average uh, debt and the average cost in 2021 today, uh -huh. I'm not even talking about when my kids will be ready, but today 
yeah. is somewhere between 250 to 300 grand. Right. So again, this is basic, basic, this is all, but to me, this is all about numbers and problem solving. If my daughter went to medical school today, I could sell the house I bought her and pay for all of it. She'd be debt free and I'd be debt free. It would cost me nothing. The house paid for it. Exactly. Now I heard one of your podcasts talking about that and how that is even better than an RESP. Now I just did a podcast on RESP mm -hmm. and I didn't want to talk about the strategy you talked about in your podcast because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not an expert at it. But if you want to share a two minute on that, I would love it if you would. Yeah. Uh, when my daughter was born, so I went through the same exercise. How much will it cost for her to go to university just for an undergrad? It's, it's, she, it should cost her $80,000 just for undergrad, just for tuition. So I had a problem to solve. So what I do, I went and bought her a house. I paid $245,000 for it. There was four offers. I came with a blank offer. I was there to win it. And I won it. And now I've, I've put it in about 150 grand in renovations. It's now a duplex. I rented out to two family, to actually one family and uh, grand, ma grandma, mom, and her kids. Uh, and that house is now worth 800 grand in seven years, right? So I can pay, I can put my kid through, through medical school today and she'll be debt-free when she's done, right? Is it worth it to me? Was the trouble worth it? Yeah. Absolutely. Now, okay, so now let me ask you this because you use real estate as the investment Mm -hmm. You did not use stocks or bonds inside an RESP. So I, I absolutely get it. I'm not sure my audience does. So I want you to break this down for me, mm -hmm. maybe very, very quickly. What, are, what is the advantage of doing it your way, putting saving? In fact, what you're doing is you're saving money into the real estate versus saving money into the RSP. What are the advantages of the way how you did it in the real estate? Uh, RESP, uh, so... Just us, we don't invest in RESPs. We, we call it, these properties our RESPs. They're not officially RESPs. Uh, I just knew that an, R, an actual RESP would not scale big enough to $80,000 for tuition alone. Exactly, Again, so it wouldn't solving. have to scale. <laughs> but, but two, as you say, over the last few years, the market have risen at least conservatively 7%, mm -hmm. right? So before, the question is, the where pandemic, would you get it? Before the pandemic. <laughs> even before the pandemic. Well, and, yeah. and with the pandemic, it's even better than 7%. If you're, if you're looking at an RSP and looking at investing in something, where would you get 7%, first of all? And how much risk do you have to put into that to get your 7% return? But two, there are certain regulations and rules and stipulations to the RSP. You can do this, but you can't do that. If, you're, if your son and daughter don't go to university, you can't take it out. And if you do take it out, you get the grant, you have to get to pay back the grant uh, and there are penalties and there are costs and fees associated with the RESP. Mm -hmm. So in the way you did it in a real estate investment, if your daughter chooses not to go to university, you haven't lost the money. There is no grant penalty. You have to pay nothing back to Justin Trudeau and you still have a home worth 800,000 that you can give to your daughter to do whatever she wants to do with it, i.e. start her own business. And so the flexibility in that real estate investment, which you call your own personal RESP for your daughter, is just another way of thinking, how can I save for tuition for my kids? Obviously, RESP is one simple way of doing it. It's a structured way. But 
you know, it's worth thinking outside the box in the way you did it, which I think is very, very reasonable as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you actually, you, know, you asked me for a final point. If, if you don't have time, just cut me off. <laughs> no, no, we have time. We have time. Right. So uh, I love my kids more than anything in the world. And I remember I was talking to a friend of mine at the gym. She was a, she went to college, division one, you in the US as a rower, right? She was so good. She would call, she could call, she could go to Beijing for the Olympics, but because of money reasons, she could not leave the school and go compete for for Canada, because she would lose her scholarship. How is that? You know, to me, like, is there an alt more bigger dream than your child to compete to compete for Team Canada at the biggest stage in the world, the Olympics? And then to me, that is not acceptable. So she had to give up her dream of competing for Team Canada at the Olympics because of money reasons. So she stayed at school, and then what killed her was. People that she trained with, who did go to who did go to the Olympics, did really well, and there are people that she knew that she could have beaten, right? So now, now bring that to the medical world. What if your child said, "I'm not going to medical school because I can't afford it. I don't want to graduate with all that debt. My kid can't live there with their dream to be a doctor because I didn't do something about it. That won't be me, because there's, there's plenty of people whose dream was to become a doctor, right? To help people." And it should not come down to money as the reason you can't do it. That's my opinion. You know your heartfelt、uh, story and your love for your daughter. I think speaks speaks louder than than anything. So, real estate investing is definitely just another revenue, another tool,、uh, and you know we need to understand these tools to probably help us achieve the goals that we want to achieve. So, thank you very much, Erwin, for taking the time. Uh, with us today, it's been an extreme joy for me to hear and to get from your experience. Thanks, Vu. Thanks for having me on. And、uh, man, hope your audience takes care. Like I know this is not this is not been good for the frontline folks. Well, I hope you guys learned something in this part two of this podcast on real estate investing. Here are some of the things that I took out of this particular episode. To find out which market is appropriate and which market is going to do well, one needs to look at demand and supply, and really is looking at demand, where there are people, there's going to be a need for housing. It is quite a simple concept, and it really is not、uh, rocket science. The second thing that I took out of this is trying to target your、uh, tenant profile. And that really should be the driver of which real estate one should buy. It's not about how beautiful the house is, or how big the house is, or how big the condo, or where the condo is. Is really, do I even want that house or that condo in that area? If it doesn't fulfill the type of clientele that I want to rent my house or my condo to, and so really understanding the targeted. Tenant profile for me is absolutely crucial. Then the third step is figuring out if this is going to be a cash flow positive or a cash flow neutral or even cash flow negative project. Obviously, we always want a cash flow positive project and maybe even cash flow neutral. 
Sometimes with the right strategy, we can even go with a cash flow negative strategy. And I can talk about that in future episodes when we talk about pre-construction condominium developments and investments. Doing a cash flow negative strategy has its own risk and reward, but the reward could be extremely, extremely attractive. And so listen to future episodes on cash flow negative strategies for real estate investment. Another important point that I took out of this is also you have to keep the emotions out of the picture. So have your emotions in check. Everything is about the numbers. Bring it all down to the numbers. You will not live in that house or in that home or in that condo. So really, it's about the numbers. Does the math make sense? Again, targeting a cash flow positive, cash flow neutral, or if you are targeting a cash flow negative strategy, how do you make it cash flow positive or neutral afterwards? Again, all about the numbers. And finally, the last lesson I took out of this is have multiple streams of income. I've talked about this in previous podcasts, so I'm not going to dwell too long on this here. But needless to say that just because we have multiple streams of income doesn't mean I stop being a physician. It just means I have more revenue streams of income. That's all it means. So thank you very much, everyone. I hope that you have all enjoyed these two podcasts on how a busy healthcare professional can still become a real estate tycoon. Hoping that these two episodes is giving you some food for thought and give you some spring in your in your step to finally take that step forward in investing in real estate. If you have any comments or you have any feedback, please email me at hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. If you have enjoyed these episodes, please share with your friends and your colleagues. Thank you very much and see you guys next time. How is my financial health doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.